throw me a curve. Whoever's dealing all those cards gives me things I don't deserve. I came home, and to my surprise, there's a note taped on the door. Red honey, I've run off with your best friend. I don't live here anymore. Hold the phone. I really think she's gone just a little too far. She took all her clothes, the kitchen stuff, travel trailer, and my new car. Hey, that don't really matter. It was her choice to get up and go. But she ran off with my fishing buddy. And Lord, I miss him so. We'll cast and cast and cast him. And every line I toss hits the water with sadness and the tragedy of my loss. Can't even get a single bite Drinking beer all alone on the lake I'm thinking about selling all my fishing gear If she don't give him a break Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me. And we have been listening to the song Fishin' Buddy by T. Edwin Doss. And T. Edwin Doss, for those of you who don't know who he is, is a veteran singer-songwriter out of the Maryland area. Well, I should say Maryland and Virginia because he spends some time. He has a lake house, he and his lovely wife, Patty, down in the uh, lake region of Virginia. And he's been doing songs for, gosh, 35 years plus. He has opened for Hank Jr., Johnny Paycheck, and the late Towns Van Zant, And he has played in the Frederick, Maryland area very regularly up until, gosh, we haven't seen him in a while, but he's the type of gentleman with his songs who can make you chuckle one moment and tear your heartstrings out the next, and he's on the phone with me right now. T. Edwin, how are you? 
I am fine. Thank you for having me, Todd. Oh, you're welcome. This is a lot of fun for me. Like I mentioned, I used to see you on a, a, a fairly regular basis for a while, and then all of a sudden we just kind of, things happen and life moves on and didn't get to see you for a while. Yep. Well, uh, we uh, over the years, we, we've had this um, house down in Virginia for 15 years, and in the early part of that time span, we were working uh, in Maryland three, four, and five days a week. And then when we, I guess you call it semi-retired, it feels like we're working just as hard as we used to work. But we're only in Maryland now a couple of days a week. And uh, we are, are in uh, Virginia uh, more than we are in Maryland. It makes it tough for me to schedule and book things. Of course, it's hard to book nowadays anyway. Maybe, but that's, that's why I've been kind of scarce in the Maryland area is I'm just not there that much. Now, up until the pandemic, were you performing on a regular basis down there? Yeah, to some degree. Uh, I was playing in Fredericksburg and uh, Charlottesville and a few areas. Um, but but then when COVID hit, you know, that put a, that put a stop just about on everything. Um, but it's beginning to open up again, well, up until this last uh, round. The, the COVID's kind of come back, particularly here in Virginia. Uh, so it's questionable whether they're going to really have anything at the beginning of the year or not. So it's everything's just sort of on hold. Yeah, it seems like the the outdoor venues were very busy and very normal leading up to cold weather. Of course, many of them don't have outdoor tents with heaters, so a lot of that outdoor music went away. But there are some here in Frederick. There's one or two that still have music. I don't know how comfortable right. it is for the performer or the, the guests, but they're doing it. Yep. I've been reading your newsletter that I get that there are, there have been, you know, the wineries and other things. Uh, some of them, I, I assume, are, have moved inside uh, if they have the uh, capacity to do so. Um, but, yeah, there's still music out there. It's, it's just less, you know, than it was. Well, let's talk about your musical life. How did it start, and at what age did it start? Oh, you know, I guess maybe I was eight or nine when my sister, who was 12 or 13, uh, was taking piano lessons. My mom had a piano in the living room, and my sister uh, would go in and practice some of the elementary songs. Uh, you know, I guess she had been taking maybe for nine months to a year. And then she would get up after 30, 45 minutes, and then I'd slide in there and uh, sit on the piano stool and just by ear just start playing the songs that she was playing. And it it, it was as good as she was playing. <laughs> uh, my mother would be in the kitchen, and she, without being able to have visibility as to who was playing, she would lean backwards from the kitchen sink and say, oh, that's beautiful, Dee Dee. <laughs> and my sister's name was Dee Dee. And um, she thought that was my sister that was playing. So, I don't know. It just I found out that I didn't know why I could do that. Uh, I also would go to church with my grandmother, Bailey. And I guess I was 10, 11, 
maybe 12. And we would stand up and sing those old hymns. And when we, after church, would be walking to the car, and my grandmother would look down at me and say, Tommy, when did you learn to sing harmony? (laughs) And I said, what's harmony? (laughs) So I had this ear to sing a harmony part to many of those hymns and didn't even know what I was doing or why I was doing it. Uh, So they scrambled around and bought me a, uh, uh, an old guitar. Of course it was right-handed. So when I started picking out the chords on it, they were upside down and backwards. And I did that for a couple of years, learning how to play those chords backwards and playing very simple folk songs. Uh, you know, we're talking about 1960, 61. And uh, a friend of my sister, uh, she was probably a senior in high school at this point or junior, uh, told me to, hey, turn those strings around and you'll learn how to play the guitar. So one afternoon when I was not at home, he came to the house and he jerked all the strings off and turned around and flipped them around the right way for a left-hander. And then when I got home, I saw what he had done. I was upset at first, but once I started playing the chords the proper way, within about three or four weeks, I was 10 times better on the guitar than I was. And that's when I really you know, started learning how to play. Time went by in high school. uh, You know, I started writing simple poetry and little songs. Then went through college, you know, with the education and learning about poetry and meter and rhyme and alliteration and everything else. Uh, I began to construct songs uh, more properly. And a lot of them were just terrible songs, <laughs> but they were building blocks. And little did I know that I was, you know, starting a foundation of, of learning how to write. And, and, uh, you, you never, there's no one way to write a song. It's, it's, it's something that I don't, it's hard to explain. Every songwriter might struggle and trying to express how do you write a song or what do you do or where do you go or what do you think of? But it soon was evident as I got into the thirties and I was performing a lot and writing quite a bit between my thirties and forties that I was getting better and better. My concepts were better and my ideas were better. My songs were getting constructed better. And, um, even, you know, throughout my 40s and 50s and 60s, some of my better songs have been written. And it's all because of a craft that you call songwriting. <clears throat> uh, it's like honing your craft. And it just, some, some people at age 21 can write a hit song. And that just goes to show <clears throat> there's no rhyme or reason. When, when you're talking about experience and honing a craft, um, the the 21 year old or 25 year old writes a hit song for somebody, um, 
I'm not going to call it an aberration, but you know, it can happen like that. And, and it, they can be uh, very fortunate to, to have the mindset to create something that is marketable and is taken by an artist who can make it a number one hit on the radio. And, uh, you know, and on the other hand, there are songwriters who struggle for years with one song, rewriting it, pitching it uh, to a publisher, uh, pushing and pushing and pushing and knocking on doors. And sometimes after 10 or 15 years, the song is taken by someone. Uh, there was a country song in the um, early uh, 2000s, like 2005 or 10. I can't think of the name of the song right now, but it's it, it has a reference to uh, a young man on the side of the road <clears throat> selling turnip greens, and this movie star blows by him in a, 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 a fancy car. Uh, oh, the song's called Good Directions. Well, she stops and asks which way to go to the interstate. And he tells her, you know, he gives her certain turns and go by this store and stop to get some, some iced tea there. And he thinks that he's lost his love for, forever. But then as the song goes on, she, he sees her coming back down the dirt road and his reference goes back to thank goodness for uh, sweet iced tea and good direction. <laughs> so he pitched that song for 10 years in Nashville. No one wanted it, but finally someone took that song, a publisher, and pitched it to an artist and became a number one hit. I remember and the song well. I didn't realize it took that I, long. I'm sorry? I I. I remember that song well. I was listening to a lot of country radio at about that time, and that song would come right. on the radio. It was yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah, I think maybe it was Billy Currington who sang it. I, you may and, be right. Uh, yep. And, and uh, it's a great little song, but, you know, it may not fly today, but it, it flew, you know, in the early 2005, 10, somewhere in there. But, you know, I'm still pitching my songs. I have... I don't know, 150, 200 songs. I'm still writing. And uh, um, this is how crazy it is. At, at this time in my life, um, in particular in the last 10 years, I've been pitching a lot of songs to publishers. And it's, it's, it's difficult enough to even get a publisher uh, to even listen to one of your songs. Uh, most of them don't take unsolicited music uh, they they only listen to established Nashville songwriters' music. Uh, but there are publishers out there who will listen to what you call unsolicited uh, songs. And uh, I'm a member of Global Songwriters Association, and through that network, um, occasionally, like once a month, they'll have what they call a publisher's pitch night. And you send a couple of songs in, and they Skype, and they play a verse and a chorus, just a verse and a chorus, to a particular publisher who has signed up for that night. And that publisher may or may not take a copy of your song to listen to it further. 
that just last week I pitched uh, a song called Cutting Edge and uh, to a publisher called Wes Mayer. His name is Wes Mayer. And um, he took it. He took a copy of my song. And uh, the significance of that is, no, I'm not a millionaire, um, but it means that he's, he, what he heard in a verse and a chorus, he was interested enough to take a copy, sit back over the weekend, and listen to it five or ten times, maybe um, allow a um, cohort of his, someone else in the organization, listen to it as well. And maybe if they're all if their hair is set on fire with this song, they may even send it to a particular artist that they have in mind. They may go that far to let so and so who's the number one country hit star, who knows, listen to the song and get his or her input. Um, and then if everybody's hair is on fire, they'll call me back or email me and say, Hey Tom, guess what? So-and-so likes your song and wants to cut it next year. That, that is the possibility to the utmost. But I could get a phone call today or an email today saying, thank you for supporting your song to us. However, at this time, we cannot uh, pursue uh, marketing this to anyone. Um, great songwriting, blah, 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 and send another, you know, that kind of thing. You never know what the answer may be. It was exciting that a, uh, a well-known publisher uh, could hear just a verse in a chorus of one of my songs and think that it's worthy uh, to even be listened to, you know, again. So that's what I'm doing more than anything else now. Uh, more than playing out or <clears throat> performing somewhere, I'm writing songs. I'm rewriting old songs and... Uh, uh, recording them uh, in studios, sometimes in studios, sometimes not. And I'm pursuing pitching uh, to publishers. And that's what's making my world go around right now. So, Well, the fact that they listened... That was a mouthful. It was. That's okay. <laughs> the Now that they've listened to one, even if they don't take it and they say, sorry, but send others... Would they be more willing to listen to other songs, or do you have to go back through that yes. start over again? Yes, that is part of this process. Uh, is that once you've caught the ear of a publisher, that publisher, uh, you know, after five years may forget your name, but I'm not going to let it be five years. You know, I'm going to uh, ask permission, may I send you another song, or may I send you a song once a month, uh, what is what are the guidelines now to establish uh, some sort of relationship with you and your organization without overstepping my bounds? You have to be politically correct with these folks. You can't be overbearing and burdensome to them. Um, you know, they're listening to hundreds and hundreds of songs. Uh, you know, a month, they probably listen to two or 300 songs. Who knows? But, you know, you have to be sort of willing to listen to what he may say. He may say, 
Hey, T, you're a great songwriter. Send me one every every couple of weeks, and I'll be happy to listen to it. You know, they are pretty uh, gracious and, and polite people themselves because they deal with a lot of uh, songwriters, and they they are sensitive. Many of them perhaps used to be songwriters and have gone into a different area of the music business. And they are sensitive to the the sensitive nature of a person and his or her craft, because we're talking about art. We're talking about art uh, in, in writing form and uh, because it comes from someone's heart uh, that they don't want to ever come across as crushing someone. So they're pretty sensitive towards keeping someone supported and eager to write more and to send um, because once they know there's a person who can craft a good song, even though they may not take this one, they know that that person is capable of crafting another good song. And who knows the next one or the next one, or the next one might be, the number one hit that they're looking for. And that's why they are uh, in return, very diplomatic and eager to keep someone like myself, uh, which would be called a new songwriter to them. Do even though I've been writing for 45, 50 years, um, they want to keep me on the hook and in hopes that I'll send them something that'll turn to gold. So that's the way the world works with the, the music business. It's tough not being in Nashville. It's tough not being what you call an in-house songwriter. Who, in-house meaning all of the big companies out there, RCA, Electra, and all of those companies ha- have hired songwriters. Some of them have 10, 15, 20 songwriters that go to work with a briefcase every morning. Um, well, probably with COVID they don't. They probably stay home and but it used to be they would come to work in their office and sit around with two or three more songwriters and co-write. And the publisher may come in on a blackboard and write, so-and-so is looking for up-tempo song uh, reflecting cornfields and going down the road with their girlfriend in a truck um, and, and talking about getting married or whatever. And so that's the idea that an artist wants to be able to sing on his next uh, uh, CD, his or her. So those songwriters sit down and start scribbling lines and exchanging ideas about, okay, let's start out with driving down the road with his truck, blah, blah, blah. And they, within a period of time, start constructing something that that publisher is looking for. If they think they have something that's pretty good, they go to the publisher and play it very roughly. And if the publisher says, no, that's not exactly what I meant. I want blah, blah, blah. And they'll go back and they'll rewrite it. Uh, to the point to where they finally get to a point to where it's good enough to go to the studio and demo and spend two or three, $400. And then, if it continues and the publisher likes it, 
then they'll present it to that artist who requested a song like that to begin with. And that's how the in-house songwriters have edge over guys like me who live 900 miles away and I'm not getting paid uh, to, to work for them on a weekly basis. It's tough. These guys, when you see a CD and you flip open the information on the CD and see who the songwriters are, many times you'll see the same names over and over with different artists. You'll see Dave Smith, co-write, uh, John Williams, uh, and then you'll open up another CD and you might see Dave Smith again somewhere because those guys are, uh, and, and girls are in-house and they have the advantage of being listened to long before Tia Bandos gets listened to. But it doesn't mean it's impossible for Tia Bandos or anybody like me. <clears throat> it just means I got to dig deeper and work harder. Now, does it, does it mean that those in-house songwriters are necessarily any better of a songwriter or it's just that they've been able to earn the well, ear of the, the producers or whomever it, it is? It, it's, it's, it's difficult to say better in what way. Um, they just happen to be, they're already in the ballpark playing ball. They're already hitting the baseball. They're running around the bases. They're out in the field catching the ball. It doesn't mean that this old country boy can't play baseball. You know, it's just that I can't wear their uniform. Right. And, you know, if they gave me a chance, I could go out there and show them how to play baseball. But <laughs> I have to play outside their ballpark and, and get noticed, you know, in a roundabout way, a longer way, uh, where they're right in the ballpark writing songs every day and co-writing. I can't express how valuable it is for two or three of these experienced Nashville uh, songwriters, in-house songwriters, to be sitting together, either in their apartments right now or in an office somewhere, and exchanging ideas. There's two or three brains working together. Uh, that's, that's a powerful amount of gray matter that is working together to construct a song. What a huge advantage it is for two or three of them. And I'm telling you nowadays, more songs are co-written than written by one person. More songs are co-written and they figured this out. They figured it out a long time ago <clears throat> that um, working in tandem with each other, you get better results and quicker results. Now, his, his... I know a songwriter in Nashville who barely plays an instrument. And his deal is he doesn't write too many songs or too many lines. But what he has is a huge suitcase full of ideas, titles. That's his gig. He has, in alphabetical order, hundreds of phrases like, I used to love you then, or uh, where have you gone? I mean, he just has titles and ideas. And I sat down with him, I had an opportunity to meet him, and I said, where did you get all these ideas? He said, oh, 
I read the newspaper. I go to the library a lot. It used to go to the library. It probably goes online now. But it's easier to just go to the library, a bookstore, and he goes down rows and rows of books, and he reads the titles of books. And if you think about it, when you read a title of a book, some some of those titles are very interesting titles. And he he uh, either takes pictures of the phone. You can't copyright a title. He can take a title of a if he if he wanted to write a song called Midway, <laughs> then he he's taking it from the novel called Midway that someone wrote about the World War Two. And now he's going to write off of that to some of these songwriters and say, here, I've got a good title here called Midway. Let's write a song. And, and uh, who knows where they'll go from that one word, Midway, which direction they can take uh, their ideas and their brain power to, to write a song about Midway. Um, and um, that's his gig. He gets his name on a co-write because he shares his titles with another songwriter who does write lyrical form or two others who write lyrical form, and he gets a co-write just sharing his title. It's just absolutely amazing. So he would get equal billing, basically, or is it, I guess it it all comes down to the con. Would he get equal billing? Say there, there are three names on the song. His is one, but all he really contributed was the title or one line or phrase. He gets one third of the songwriter's share. He does. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine he's, he's fairly successful. Well I wish I could think of his name right now. But he's well established in Nashville. He is well known. And songwriters call him in when they're stumped for ideas. Um, you know, maybe they know the, the realm of a song that they want to write, but they can't get a title or, or can't narrow it down to two or three or four words for a title. Well, he'll dig through his <laughs> encyclopedia of, of phrases and ideas and, and, you know, offer them 10 or 20 different phrases and, um, you know, sometimes he comes up dry, but many times he doesn't. Um, there was uh, uh, one person that I know of, Austin Cunningham. He's a songwriter in Nashville, lives in Texas. That song that the judge did way back called Flies on the Butter, or the actual name of the song is You Can't Go Home Again. Um, you may recall that song. I think it was in the... 90s, 1990s, that they they sang that song, mm-hmm. and uh, he co-wrote that with two of the guys. And uh, all he did was just add a couple of lines in a verse and, and some in the chorus, and he got one third co-write on that. And uh, he gets a nice check in the mail still from that song. You know, that song is still played on the radio. You know, all over the world. Now, how does T. Edwin Doss come up with ideas? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you on that one. How do you come up with ideas to write songs? Uh, good question. Um, sometimes it just 
pops. Um, like that song Fishing Buddy. Um, you know, I I didn't know the direction that it was going to go at the end until it got about halfway through it. But, um, you know, coming down here to the lake in, in, uh, in Virginia, um, you know, I saw some guys out on a fishing boat and the way my warped mind worked <laughs> was, you know, I've talked with a lot of fishermen as they would come by and, you know, one of them said, I've been fishing for 20 years and this is such a beautiful cove and blah, blah, blah. I've been coming here long before your house was built. And I'd say, oh, really? He said, yep, I've been fishing this cove for a long time. And he had his fishing buddy with him that was casting. And he said, oh, I said, oh, you guys have spent a lot of time together out here on the water. And they said, yeah. Well, it dawned on me that as I was coming back to the house, you know, your fishing buddy, what if you were to lose him? You know, maybe, what if he became ill and couldn't go out on the water anymore? Maybe he moved away or, or, or what? And I said, that would be a tragedy to lose your fishing buddy. And, you know, to find another person to go out on a boat with you and spend, you know, a lot of time, it would be awkward to start all over again with another person. So that's how, that's how I got uh, the idea for that song is that, um, you know, my wife ran off with my fishing buddy and Lord, I miss him. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I, uh, I came up with that twisted, you know, song that's humorous, of course, and lighthearted. Um, but there are other times that I, I, I don't have a title in mind. I have an idea in mind. And it's, it kind of works backwards. That's why I said in the beginning of our conversation, but there's really no one way to write a song. It's nice to have the idea up front and the, almost the title in your mind that you just are dead set on it being the centerpiece of the song. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it makes it a little easier when a, when a contractor has a blueprint of a house and already has the site staked out and it's cleared and that contractor can start building that house and knows exactly how he wants to go with it. It's nice to have that. But what if you didn't have a blueprint, but you were a darn good builder? You could still build a house. It may be just a little bit more challenging uh, to say, well, I think I want the living room here. And you start building, and you say, oh, now I can't put the living room here. I want that living room window to to be facing west so they can see the sunset. So the builder kind of makes a few changes, knocks down a couple of stuff, and starts putting the uh, living room on the other side. And you build, you build a song sometimes that way, thinking that you're going to go this direction, but then in the middle, you say, ah, no, I can't do this because I've got to do that. And then you start thinking, well, how's the chorus going to go? The chorus sort of needs to summarize 
every time it's sung, the sort of the central part of the song. And you then you, you would like to incorporate the title of the song in the chorus, preferably in the beginning of the chorus and in the last line of the chorus. And if you would listen, and all of the listeners out there are hearing this, next time you listen to a song that's on the radio or over the Internet or whatever, however you listen, listen to the chorus. Nine times out of ten, the hit songs have the title in the beginning of the chorus and the title in the end. And the more times the title is sung, the better it is. And it's because marketing has a lot to do with repetition. And when you're watching your favorite football program or whatever you're watching, watch how many times Ford is going to try to sell you a car. Every commercial, it's going to be the same commercial over and over again. It'll drive you nuts. <laughs> and, or, or any of those commercials. This is the way of our commercial world is repetition. And they don't care how many times they pound it to you. You may care, but you're enduring a sales job. And that's what these songs are. These songs are repetitious, hopefully pleasing repetitious. But, but then what happens is the 13-year-olds will go to the store and buy the CD because she hears Taylor Swift sing that repetitious chorus over and over and over and over again. And um, the, the buying market out there are nine-year-olds to about 17-year-olds. That's the bulk of the purchasing market uh, all over the world for music, is that you're, you're selling primarily to young kids and early teenage and on up. And then the next layer is the young adults to, you know, early 30s uh, who purchase music. And then it, it goes less and less as folks get older and older. And there are exceptions. But those are the ones that are getting pounded with this, with this uh, you know, music and getting uh, the repetitious choruses over and over and over again. And I'm one of them. I practice what I preach. I practice trying to uh, have a hook in a song, um, particularly in the courses, and as much as I can in a chorus. Well, you have many of your songs are humorous. There are more than the several of your songs almost sound like they're based on a, a, an experience you had or someone you knew at some point in your life, and, and many times they're tragic. You also have love songs, or what I would call a romantic ballad. The, and then quite a few of your, your titles are, are faith-based. Yeah. And of the songs that you've written, which category gets, because I know you're an award-winning songwriter, which category gets the most awards, if any? For, reward from, from my heart? Well, your songs do the faith-based, the historical kind of tragic song, uh, the love ballad, or the humorous. Which of those four would get, because 
well, let's, let me ask you a question. How many of your songs are award-winning? Four or five, six or seven, ten? Oh, I've got about 20 or more that have garnered re- awards of some kind. Not all grand prize, but uh, usually when you enter these national and international contests, uh, they have a grand prize in a first, second, third, and fourth place. Sometimes they have an honorable mention. Mm-hmm. But I've got a, a wall full of, of certificates <laughs> down the hallway here, and some I haven't even put in, in uh, um, frames yet to even – I've got four or five lying around that. I don't have any more room in the wall <laughs> to put them. But, um, no, it, I, I'll tell you. You know, I was resolved years ago. You know, baseball, I like to go back to baseball. You know, the reason why a lot of kids don't play baseball anymore, the reason why they play soccer, and I'm not knocking any any mother or father or kid that, that wants to play soccer. But see, in baseball, it's a game of failure. Baseball, you only succeed three times out of 10, if you're pretty good. In other words, someone who hits 300 has made an out seven other times out of 10. In baseball, you can misjudge a fly ball. You can fumble a grounder. You can throw a ball away. You can get picked off a base. So it's a game that you can fail at during even winning the game. And in many other sports, there is no failure. You're not called out in soccer. <laughs> you know, you're not picked off a face. You don't strike out. And songwriting for me has been that game of failure. In other words, it's, I, I even look at some of the impressionist artists in the uh, mid. 19th century, Van Gogh and a lot of those guys, they died poor. How tragic, what their minds were, were how depressing they must have been to, to, to not make money at their artwork, what was their passion. Very few of them did. It was long after most of them died that the, their art was considered uh, fabulous. And early on, I had stars in my eyes. I just thought, oh, wow, I've got a great song. I want to love this song. And you get rejected. You send the publishers over and over and over again. And I've been writing for 40-something years and never had a song cut by an artist. And there is, you reach a certain point to where the rejection, you're either going to quit and hang up your baseball glove and throw your cleats away and say, Mommy and Daddy, I'm not playing baseball anymore. I make too many outs. Or you're going to be resolved in thinking, okay, why am I writing? Why am I putting my pen in my hand and writing lyrical poetry and putting it to music. And I became resolved in saying to myself, every time I complete a song, 
I am thrilled. It brings joy to my heart to finish a song. Sometimes I have to rewrite it and make it a little better. But eventually, I have to feel good about adding another song to my portfolio. And I'm writing for me. I'm writing for the satisfaction of being able to create something that even if I just play it locally or to my family uh, or whatever, that if they're excited and they applaud and they're having fun, then I'm happy with that. I can't do it the other way. I would be in a mental institute <laughs> of, uh, of being rejected so much. So now that I am the age that I am, I'm over it. I'm over the feeling of having to endure the rejection of it. Now, I'm better equipped mentally to go about the business of writing and sending songs out. I have this barrier now. I have this uh, insulation, if you will, of the rejection doesn't mean anything to me anymore. It, 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 I have a, a better chance now of pitching these songs and staying well balanced and keeping my fingers crossed. If I'm 80 years old, I'll still be doing it. But underneath all of that, I'm happy. I'm happy with what I'm doing. I enjoy the process of finishing and completing a song, particularly when I really know that it's a good song. And and uh, not all your songs are good, but sometimes you sit there and you say, wow, that turned out to be pretty good. And those are usually the ones that you pursue, you know. Well, you have one. I hope that uh, answered that question. Yes, yes, it did roundabout but that's good but um i'm going to bring up a specific song because i think it's one of the ones that you have won an award on its title is jesse brown and if i'm not mistaken isn't that a song written about someone loosely anyway who you knew at some point yes yes it is uh, when i was a kid uh i guess 16 17 uh his name was not Jesse Brown, but uh, there was someone that I knew. Uh, he did not go to my junior high and high school. He was not part of of the peer group that I actually grew up with. Uh, he lived um, out of town, where my near where my grandparents um, on my mother's side lived, and I. I had some association with him, and uh, um, this is, you know, the story evolved from there. I made some twists and turns in it, uh, but uh, it's based on some true facts. Well, why don't and we? I, I thought I'd never get through writing that song. Uh, it it got uh, complicated, and, and both, that's one of those songs that I started writing. It took me maybe three to four months. I uh, had to stop, refresh, uh, and come back with a fresh mind in order to get a lot of lines done and a lot of verses done. So, but it turned out to be um, a pretty good storytelling song about a troubled young man, and uh, evidently that 
person who evaluated at these songwriting contests, the Dallas Songwriting Contest, uh, he he really liked that tune, and uh, I won grand prize with that. Well, let's listen to that song so that the folks can hear the song that we're discussing. Here it comes. Okay. Wait. Tonks and bars. We knew for sure he was shooting for the stars, but he strayed too far down an alley off Fifth and Main. He saw a GI buddy and a brand new Jag. The selling some stuff in a Ziploc bag. It's where he fell into the arms and the curse of powder cocaine. Jesse Brown, you couldn't resist. The spider in white and the very first kiss When you mixed in booze Her web was holding your breath Jesse Brown, I tried to pull you away But when I saw you on a park bench sleeping every day I wondered why you drugged with the devil and danced with death I wanted to cry, I wanted to shout You never let me know what your pain was about At night I prayed for you when I lay my body down I prayed, Lord, please have mercy on Jesse Brown For the worst, bad news travels fast Jesse found dead the day before last Off Highway 78, swinging from a sycamore tree There was a suicide note stuffed down in his shirt Said, bury me here in the Alabama dirt Sing my songs, don't cry no more for me I wondered if we could have done a little bit more The preacher was preaching Jesse's coffin Lord. I wondered why I came back to this one-horse town. I read the words on his tombstone under his name. About the time a thunderstorm came, they read, Lord, please have mercy on Jesse Brown. Jesse Brown, you couldn't resist. The spider in white and the very first kiss And when you mixed in booze Her web was holding your breath Jesse Brown, I tried to pull you away But when I saw you on a park bench sleeping every day I wondered why you drugged with the devil and danced with death Oh, 
I wanted to cry, I wanted to shout. You never let me know what your pain was about. At night I prayed for you when I lay my body down. I pray, Lord, please have mercy on Jesse Brown. I pray, Lord, please have mercy on Jesse Brown. Oh, it's such a great song. Thank you. Now, Thank have, you. And you know, as you were playing that, uh, it's been a while since I've even listened to the song, probably a couple of months or more. Uh, uh, it just dawned on me that uh, even though the title of the song is Jesse Brown, the last line of the chorus is, Lord, please have mercy on Jesse Brown. Um, and I saw that inscription um, on a, a, a grave marker, a stone, in in another cemetery. I was just, uh, I don't even know why I was there. Oh, uh, a friend of mine, uh, I went with a friend to, to someone else's funeral, and, uh, you know, walking through the cemetery, I saw that inscription on someone's stone. It said, Lord, have mercy. Uh, I can't even remember who the person was at that point that, that was on that gravestone, but I took that and, and used it in the last line of that chorus, Lord, please have mercy on Jesse Brown. So a few questions ago, you were asking about ideas and titles and so on and so forth. It can happen just like that. You can be driving a car and reading a billboard. Uh, you can be reading a newspaper. You can be watching something on TV. Someone may say something and, you, as a songwriter, you have to be stay aware and keep a pen and pad handy so that you can write these little things down. Many, many, many songs, particularly country songs, were written on napkins or at least titles where someone would say something funny in a bar or a restaurant or somewhere, and some songwriter would scribble down three or four lines and go home and write a song to you know, a phrase that was spoken, you know. Now, how do you go about deciding how you're going to record the song, whether it's going to be very sparse, you and just a guitar, or whether you're going to have percussion or drums or lead guitar? Uh, or... It depends on how much money I have in the bank. <laughs> 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 you know, these full production demos, uh, can cost you, you know, especially if you send a work tape uh, to some of these national studios where they listen to it and they turn it down for six or seven hundred dollars for you. Uh, you know, you, I've heard many publishers say, don't worry about making it full production and spending a lot of money. Spend as little money as you can to get your idea across. I mean, many publishers will just listen to a song. Uh, just right out of your living room uh, if you can record it well enough. They don't want to listen to Chicken Scratch, but they want to be able to capture... They're, they're, these guys 
It's not rocket science to them. They can listen to someone play their piano and sing a song. If it's done clearly without a lot of noise and, and background stuff going on, and they can catch the idea that you're trying to get across. And you can do that simply in your living room or a little home studio if you have. Or you can go to another studio and hire a person for 50 bucks to, to lay down the piano or the guitar for you. And, and uh, you can go in and sing it yourself or for another 50, 75 bucks. You can hire a, uh, a nice vocalist uh, to put the vocal part. And so for 150, 200 bucks, maybe another 50 or 75 for the owner of the studio, you can get a $300 demo done very nicely. And I'm at the point where in the beginning, I thought more money I could put into a song, the better off it would be for a publisher. But I was wrong. It's not necessary. It's nice to get a, a nice demo back from, from Nashville that sounds like a record, but uh, you're many times you're overdoing it. Uh, most publishers are just fine listening to a guitar and a bass or a guitar and a drum or a piano and a bass and a vocalist and not even have harmonies. When they... If they think that you've written a great song, they don't have to hear harmonies. They know where the harmonies are going to go. They know there's going to be uh, another guitar, and they know there's going to be a bass in there. They know there's going to be, you know, another instrument even. You don't have to put it in there for them. These people are artists themselves. They... They have captured your idea, and they're going to take it, and they're going to make it for uh, Blake Shelton or whoever, and those guys will take it and run with it and um, do what they want to do with it. There's no sense in a person like me spending seven or $800 to try to, to show them, oh, look, it needs violin. It needs this. It needs that. They're going to do that for you. Well, I know that you have done uh, or had done several songs as demos where someone else, like you said, sent it to a studio in Nashville or wherever, and they have a vocalist sing song, one of them, which the folks listening will actually hear at the end of the show called Still in Love with You. Another one that I, I heard and I, and I liked and I, I listened to and I'm thinking, that's not T's voice, and it's a happy anniversary. How do you choose which song you're going to have someone demo for you? Uh, it, it can be uh, a couple of reasons. Um, the, the song that I think you're going to play at the end of this uh, podcast is a song I wrote called Still in Love with You. And it's a, a, a very tender, uh, a powerful song um, that I felt from my ability as a vocalist that it would be more effective to have a professional vocalist um, uh, uh, express the melody uh, with their talented vocal. And the, the singer is Perry Danos, D-A-N-O-S. He is a well, well-established artist in Nashville. He's, he's not like a radio artist. He does a lot of uh, theater 
and he does uh, shows at big, uh, uh, I guess, uh, auditoriums and things like that, or dinner theaters. Uh, and he's done much, much more than that. But uh, if anybody cares to Google Perry Danos, he is just an absolute superb vocalist and pianist. And uh, I was given his name through Global Songwriters Association. And uh, here's a guy that's, you know what, 24-7, 365 days a year. And he was kind enough to return my phone call. And uh, he treated me uh, as a fellow professional. It was just superb working with him. Uh, he didn't look at me or look down on me that I was, you know, a non-established songwriter. He was happy to sing and play the piano on this demo uh, for very little money. And um, he did such a great job. I felt such joy when I got this song back, how he created this, this, this song that I wrote and just made it blossom into a thing of, of beauty. And um, I was so pleased. And But that that's one reason why I would prefer someone else take a song, is if I can't personally perform it vocally uh, to a certain level, uh, you know, not all singer-songwriters out here, uh, including myself, you know, have a perfect pitch voice and can can do a lot of uh, tricks vocally uh, and and have the power to to hold notes and it's nothing to be ashamed of I've gotten by, I've gotten by a, a, a very long time with with what I call an average vocal more or less uh, performing but I've been able to express my songs uh, in shows and 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 in places uh, well enough to perform. But um, there are times where if you're a songwriter, there are certain songs sometimes when you write, you say, ah, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to hire somebody to sing this one. And um, there's no shame in that. It's, uh, you know, once again, you, you, I go back to baseball. You know, the bases are loaded and there's two outs and uh, a left-handed pitcher against a left-handed hitter. And the manager calls time and says, hold up, I've got a pinch hitter coming in for this. And the pinch hitter is going to be right-handed. So it would be righty against lefty as an advantage um, slightly for the hitter to be right-handed against the left-handed pitcher. And there's, you, you look at it the same way when you're about to demo a song. It's, it's an advantage. You want an advantage, if you can, uh, for, to create a vocal that is uh, going to make the song shine in a different light. And uh, that's what I did with this one. I've done it with many of my songs. Many of my songs, like Jesse Brown, I sang myself. I, I, I thought that song was in my heart, and I felt that no one could perform that particular song since I had um, a tangible relationship with the young man and 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 it worked. It worked out uh, quite well. So, 
Now, of all the songs that you have written, and I think you said you have a catalog close to 200 songs, what are, yep. your, what are your top three? Of all the songs you've written, your top three, your favorite. <laughs> you would ask me that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, um, there's so many genres that I've written in, so many different songs that you have not heard, and so many songs that I have not even demoed uh, that, you know, could complicate the, the answer to this question. Jesse Brown has to be probably one of my favorite as far as an Americana song goes, um, as far as a country song. It's one that you don't have, um, but I've written a song um, called Best Man and a song called Cutting Edge just recently, within the last two years. I had those fully demoed in Nashville. And those two, I think, are my best um, attempts at trying to reach a country market and trying to open up a publisher's ear. And sure enough, last week, Cutting Edge was the song that the publisher took to listen to some more. And when I wrote that song two years ago, I wrote it back in my office here at uh, Lake Anna. And I just wrote it, of course, with my guitar, and I was struggling with it for two or three days. But Patricia was listening to me as, as I was writing, and I was getting to the chorus. And even if the song was not finished, when she heard the chorus, she was in the kitchen. She came running back into the room, and she said, that's a good country song. And, and, you know, I, you, have to, you have to listen to wives and mothers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it doesn't always pay that what they love everything you do. Your mom loved everything you did. And your wife just loves everything you do. So you have to be careful how much, how much credence you put into their admiration. But when Patricia stops and runs back from the kitchen with a spoon in her hand and says, that's good, then you know you may have something. And I continued to develop that song over two of about a week and was finally happy with it. And I sent it to Beard Music Group in Nashville, and they, uh, uh, who sang that? Oh, uh, Adam Cunningham sang that. And if you may recall, I don't know how much you guys out there listen to uh the Voice, or uh, it wasn't The Voice, or yes, it was, it was The Voice. Adam Cunningham, two or three years ago, was runner-up on The Voice. And uh, I think Blake Shelton, he was on the Blake Shelton team. Well, after that happened, he went back to Nashville, started doing demo work. And when I picked him out of the uh, vocalist that, a beard music group had. They had a list of about eight or nine male vocalists. I knew who he was, and I knew that song. He could do it, and he did a fantastic job with it. So there's another example of picking the right vocalist for your demo that you perhaps do not wish to try to sing. Adam was the icing on the cake 
with the candles lit. And it paid off in this case for me to spend $600 because this publisher, after he listened to a verse and a chorus, when they stopped the music, he didn't say anything but this. And he said, I'll try to quote. He said, I like that. That's good lyric writing. I'll take a copy of that. And that was all he said. <laughs> and well, that's when I spilt my coffee all over me. But, you know, you have to be careful how excited you get because just because he likes it upon hearing it and he wants to take a copy of it doesn't mean I'm going to get a check in the mail. <laughs> it means that he heard something that he thought was in the realm of possibility of marketing to four or five artists that he had in his brain while he was listening to that song, saying, yep, so-and-so could sing this, so-and-so could sing this, so-and-so could sing this. That's how these publishers work. And um, it all goes back. I wonder if the same reaction would have happened if I sang that song and just sent it in with my guitar. I wonder if that publisher would have had the same reaction. So see, it's a crapshoot. It's a gamble. You don't. Sometimes you don't know if you should do it yourself in your living room. Sometimes you say, no, this one deserves full production. And I think I went the full production route because I just thought the song was one of my better efforts in, in writing a song in about a year or so. so. That's why I did that. But that's those two, uh, the other song is called Best Man. That's an uh, interesting play on words. A, a boy used to date this girl. This is all fiction. And now he's in the wedding. The girl is not her, his anymore. He's the best man. His best friend, his good friend, is marrying the girl. But prior to the wedding, he and the girl had had a relationship and were dating for a while. I don't go into it very deep. The chorus goes, uh, I'm the best man standing right here beside my good friend. We watched you walk down that long aisle. Not sure if it's him or me you're looking at right now with your falling tears and crooked smile. And it goes on another line or two, and he says, "Down deep down in your heart, I know you know I'm the best man. So I'm playing on words um, by him saying, I'm, I'm the better man than he is for you. But he says, I'm the best man. And he is the best man in the wedding. So I thought that was a, a, a pretty good play on words. Nashville likes plays on words. They like that because it's memorable and catchy. And... Um, Patricia liked that song as well, so I had that fully demoed. But between those three, Jesse Brown, Best Man, and Cutting Edge, um, especially Cutting Edge and Best Man are more commercial marketing type songs. Not sure about Jesse Brown. Jesse Brown could be marketed maybe for uh, movie or um, television, you know, which is another big market nowadays for songwriters to. Um, to, you know, a publisher, made, uh, you know, Jesse Brown is not going to be sung by Blake Shelton or any of these big artists, but it could be thrown into a movie somewhere. Uh, 
that ha- may have a storyline that's similar or something like that. But you never know where your song might, might wind up. You know, you have to just keep writing and sending them out. Well, you know, I feel badly that I did not include, because I downloaded the uh, Still in Love with You. I had I could have done Cutting Edge, but I hadn't listened, because 57 songs that I had to go through, and I hadn't listened to Cutting Edge yet. I did listen to Best Man. I thought about that, and I thought, now I'll do Still in Love with You for the for the end of the show. I wished I could go back and do it. Unfortunately, no, I can't. Still in Love with You is a great song to end the show with. It's, it's, uh, I think you chose a, a, a very good song to, uh, to show a different element of my songwriting. And, and uh, it's such a, a, Perry Danos did such a wonderful job. It's, it's a great song for you to end the show with. Well, how can people get um, some of your CDs? Um, I was going to ask you that. (laughs) 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 I'm not sure where you purchased. uh, I purchased your your CD, T. Edwin Doss, the CD sampler, for two reasons. One, I don't have it, and two, because I took the photo that's on the cover at Brewer's Alley when you were at Brewer's Alley one time. And the other one, T. Edwin Doss, out on Rocky's Run, which is your most recent, I think, 2000. No, no, T. Edwin Doss sample was 2012. But I purchased those off your website, tedwindoss.com. And off the, my website. Yep. yep. That's yep. probably the safest way to go. Um, um, that now, if um, I'm not sure, um, you know, you send a, a package of CDs. Uh, so that whoever is receiving this and my website has a supply of CDs to send out. Uh, if um, those supplies dwindle, uh, you know, sometimes there's a um, uh, a lack of cohesiveness in, in them asking me to send them more so that they can then send them out to potential purchasers. So, uh, if anybody online uh, or any of your listeners are having difficulty getting my CDs, you know, they can uh, contact me uh, by email and, um, and I'll, I'll be happy to, to, uh, to send them a copy that, you know, we can purchase over the line with PayPal or however they want to purchase. And um, if you want to, Give them my email over the air right now. We can, or it's, I don't it, know how you do that. It's up to you if you want to recite it for them. That's terrific. What What is your email address? Are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure. Um, well, I can. I should just go ahead and. Well, I'll, I'll, give you my email over the air here, or what? Well, it's listed under contact on your website, so we'll just direct them to your website. Yeah. T. Edwin Doss. That's T E D W I N D O S S dot com. And I'm I'll, losing contact with you a little bit here. Well, we might be getting the storm front moving through, um, but anyway, we'll end the show there. It's been great speaking with you. Please say hi to Patty. Yep. A day late. I can't on, hear you right now. All right. Well, we're probably going to have to end the show right there. Hopefully he can hear me and we can. Uh, uh, are you still there, T, or have you gone? I I think yeah, we have lost you again. All right. Well, I, I, I'll send you a text. And the, the uh, phone service 
down here sometimes is difficult. Well, hopefully we'll... But, uh, uh, I'm not sure if you can hear me, but if, if we lose contact, I wanted to uh, express to you uh, my gratitude for you contacting me and <clears throat> having you on having me on this podcast. And um, I, this is great. I've I've enjoyed speaking with you, and and hope to see you again real soon. All right, T. Hopefully, you'll hear me say goodbye. If not, I will uh, hopefully chat with you soon. Yes. All right. Thanks again for joining me. Well, that was T. Edwin Doss by via telephone from Lake Anna, Virginia area. And I'm sorry we lost transmission there for the last minute or minute and a half. But fascinating guy. What a, uh, that was wonderful. That wasn't really the direction I was thinking the podcast was going to go. But for those of you who are songwriters who have expressed the interest in trying to get your song picked up by a major artist or just a, you know, a publisher. Uh, to then uh, promote it for you. A lot of insight in that. That was absolutely terrific. Well, the song that we mentioned, um, Still in Love with You, is how we're going to end the show, and here it is right now. If you're wondering Where I am today If you're thinking I'm a thousand miles away Did you really Think I'd leave Find somebody new you're wrong I'm still in love with you Still in love with you If you're planning To drop by for a while With doubts We would ever reconcile Did you really think I'd leave Feeling so blue You're wrong I'm still in love with you Still in love with you Can't you remember The good times we had Can't you hold on to those And forget the bad If you were thinking I've left the love you've shown With thoughts I would leave you alone 
Did you really think what we have was over and all through your arms? You've been wondering way too long. I'm still in love. The Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker at the Wispy Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All music on the podcast is played by permission of the artist from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link, wispymopmusic.podbean.com, and Podbean is spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N, or you may find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you next time.